0: I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe.
1: Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy
0: Monday, folks. We are coming to you on Tuesday, May 23rd, and this will be our first June release.
1: What? That's crazy.
0: We keep just tracking time through this podcast. That's really all we're here to do. Not talk about nonprofits. Just marvel at how time moves.
1: It's really true. And someday my kids are going to get old enough and they're going to find these. And it's going to be like a time capsule for them of what was going on. Can you imagine
0: your kids just like cringing so hard when they listen to this? So hard. (laughs) I can't wait.
1: All the things that I have sent. about them not expecting them to listen at eight and ten but now five ten years from now they get their hands on it
0: it's coming it's coming oh gosh
1: I can't wait <laughs> we really have documented some historic moments in time though
0: yes we really have
1: I mean through the pandemic that whole thing
0: mm-hmm that whole that thing. whole
1: thing you know what we should do I just, oh, this is really more of a BTS rant, but we'll say it and then move on. We should cherry pick old episodes and we should listen to it again, you and I. Mm-hmm. And then we should comment on that.
0: Oh, God. I don't know that my cringe meter could handle that.
1: We should do it.
0: That sounds awful. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Because today we're going to talk about endowments. So this is a listener request. Um, We've chatted a little bit here and there about endowments. We did a whole episode on university endowments and how fucking big they are. But we had a request to talk more on the fundraising side of endowments. What does that look like? And so here we are because we aim to please at the nonprofit reframe.
1: That's what we're here for. Yes. All right. Well, You think I even was talking about endowments a couple weeks ago, because I was working with some clients, and they were trying to decide when is an appropriate time to start an endowment campaign. And I was like, don't know if they even should. Right. What is the (laughs) point of them? Maybe we should talk about it on the podcast.
0: Uh, Let's start that. Yeah, that's a good place to start. And I got to say, I have really been contemplating this recently, historically, traditionally, Once a nonprofit hits the level at which they have an endowment, it adds cachet.
1: It's a status symbol, right?
0: It's a status symbol. You as an organization are financially stable enough to now have an endowment. How great is that? And I mean, there are a lot of concerns, but the thing I've been thinking about the most recently is I can't think of any other business structure where a company would say, take in a ton of money and then say but wait, we're going to restrict that so that we actually can't touch the majority of it in perpetuity.
1: Right. What? And not only like, are we going to restrict it, but the only way to be able to touch it is through some like, like hoops you got to jump through to get all these people to agree that it's part of that. It's worth doing. Right. It's like, well, we need two two thirds vote of the board in order to be able to access those funds. But like your board changes all the time. So the person who, like the board that creates the policy, they're gone. Well, and for the majority of nonprofits,
0: it's not their board that's voting on it.
1: That's so fucked up because it's like with the financial institution that the funds are at. Yeah, it's like the foundation that holds
0: them. So yeah, we should step back. Okay, an endowment. What What is a fucking endowment? I jumped right into my concerns and ponderings, and that was unfair to our listeners. But
1: this is where we go. This is how you and I are. We're just like down the rabbit hole immediately. Let's dive in.
0: There was some conversation we were having a few weeks ago. You started telling this story, and I was like here for it. And then you got to the end, and I was like, and who Who were we talking about? <laughs> I was just here for the story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so an endowment. Often endowments are created through a specific campaign, which we'll talk about, like what those fundraising campaigns look like, but whereby donors give to this specific purpose and endowment. Those funds are then held and invested, often in an external institution. Many, many, many community foundations hold endowments for nonprofits. And ideally, they grow there. And the organization takes a three to 5% draw once a year. So you put a million dollars, into your endowment, you get three to 5% of that in year one. As it grows, you continue to draw three to 5% a year. So typically, as long as the market is growing at more than that three to 5%, your endowment size is actually growing while you're continuing to take that draw. Is that a, a, okay. a
1: basic yes. synopsis? Yes. I mean, I have so many comments okay. to make, but I'm, I am actively holding myself back. I'm restraining myself till we get to that part. Great. So again
0: most universities have endowments, often very large endowments. I think it's becoming uh, more common for human services nonprofits, smaller nonprofits to have them. Uh, Lots of arts organizations do. And, you know, there's definitely been some critique, especially recently about organizations growing their endowments strategically, especially I think those in like human services or advocacy organizations, when the sky's falling. It's like, why are you taking dollars and locking them up when they're needed right now. I mean, it's kind of like the same calls on community foundations to release more funds from their endowments. It's like, well, why would organizations lock those up either? And I totally hear those calls. And some of these issues are not going to go away unless we get rid of capitalism. So it's like, it's not going to exist in our lifetime. So there is some benefit to having funds in perpetuity. But I don't, I clearly, as I like him and ha on either side of these, I struggle with endowments for certain types of organizations.
1: As the words are coming out of your mouth, you're like, oh, do I believe that? I don't really know. Right. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're essentially a safety net, right? Right. Well, not actually. They're not meant to
0: be a safety net. They can be a safety net. So what we we're talking about with organizations, boards, or a foundation board voting to approve, if that 3 to 5% isn't sufficient, let's say you have a really significant issue with revenue, you need to make a larger draw. Most endowments will have some sort of a policy that allows for a one or two time additional disbursement. So let's say you need a 10% draw at one point. Like we saw this a lot in 0809 during the recession, where organizations were just needing funds to keep things operating. So they would get that approved. But like, you really can't do more than that. You couldn't overnight liquidate it whatsoever. So it really isn't a safety net. It's much more about having dollars coming in year over year that you can count on.
1: Right. And so every time I had talked about it in places that I've worked, which are small human services nonprofits the ideal was that you were raising enough money that that annual distribution covered like a an entire year's program costs
0: god can you even imagine
1: right <laughs> but then it was like so that means do the math we would have to raise a gajillion dollars and then it was like
0: mm. oh does that really make sense to do yeah yeah. And I think that's like the calculus that a lot of organizations go through in initially setting up the endowment. It sounds like this great thing because the end result is a more or less guaranteeing line item. And you know, we at the beginning of the episode, we mentioned that these funds are restricted. So they're restricted going into the endowment. But the majority of the time, those annual distributions going back to the organization is unrestricted. So it's nice because then you have these flexible funds coming in for wh- wherever it's needed.
1: Wait, they're restricted going in, but unrestricted coming out. I don't understand. Like they're just restricted to the endowment. Exactly.
0: Right. So a donor makes an endowment gift. You can't split that into operating for today and endowment for tomorrow. Right.
1: Right. And like any campaign funding or fundraising, when you're in the midst of that kind of campaign, you're trying to get gifts from donors that are over and above their annual giving.
0: Exactly. Like it, it often follows very much of a capital campaign structure. You're asking donors to give out of assets instead of income. So you're looking for stocks and charitable rollovers from IRAs. And you're looking for much larger one-time gifts or multi-year pledges that are going to be above and beyond their annual giving that will help for this campaign structure.
1: Do you do a feasibility study like you do for capital campaigns? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to the added layer to a feasibility study that's really important here is, do your donors know about endowments? Like, is that even something that is in their realm of understanding? And do they believe in that kind of thing? For a capital campaign, you're always assessing, like, do they believe in this project? Do they think it's good for us to have a new building? If so, what aspects are the most intriguing? Similarly, for an endowment, you want to know, like, does does this even resonate for them? Because if it doesn't, it's going to be really hard getting those larger gifts.
1: Well, I think it's so interesting that we're used to hearing about them with universities. Obviously, Harvard's being one of the most famous with like billion dollars in the endowment. Yeah. And I know that we've been talking recently about donor advised funds. And while this is not same, it still reminds me of you're locking up money that can only be used for certain purpose a charitable purpose and there's nobody advocating for its distribution and meanwhile it's making somebody else money in the meantime
0: right ah yes there is always that piece of it isn't there yeah
1: yeah so i just don't know how i feel about it
0: yeah I would love to share a story of an endowment campaign we were involved with recently, because this was one of the, I think, more success stories and ways that endowments could be used really well. So this organization is a foundation attached to a school district you know, we, we see that a lot in our public school systems, you know, the Friends of Such and Such Public Schools, Foundation for Public Schools. So it's one of those. And, you know, they do a whole myriad of things from direct support into classrooms, funding projects, funding like fun new initiatives that the district is interested in and in kind of piloting, but not ready to put their own money behind, all the way to scholarships directly for students to go to higher ed. So that's one good thing about their endowment from the get-go. They do so many different things that will continue to be needed in some way, shape, or form. Like, maybe over the next few decades, our public school system is significantly better funded. Huzzah! Wouldn't that be great? But if that happens, we're still going to need like that R&D funding for new curriculum and fund new initiatives. We're still going to need probably scholarships for higher ed. So like, there was always something that would be needed in perpetuity. But the other thing that I thought was really fantastic was that this organization's very equity focused. And so they said, similarly, we don't want to lock all these funds up because we know we need them now. But we also really like the idea of doing this big endowment campaign where we can grow significant resources for the short term. So they have split their campaign so that funds will be received and go into two different funds, one of them a traditional endowment and one a flexible fund. They're calling like their innovation or impact fund. Those funds have a specific spend down, I want to say 15 years. So we're going to do the big push for fundraising, get this built up, and then in the next 15 years, we're going to spend that out because our kids need it now. And it was really interesting. We we helped with like some of the feasibility and planning for this campaign. And it was really interesting to hear what their donors thought of those concepts. There were some people who were like, Yeah, I don't, I don't know about this flex fund thing. I don't know about a spend down. I want to give to a traditional endowment, which was like great. We still have that. And then others who were like, Oh, okay, I see this. This is this is about helping meet our kids' needs now. That is really cool. I wanna to give to that new innovative thing it kind of was nice because it gave something for all donors. And I think was very values aligned for the organization and really for the staff. Like when we came to that point, the fundraiser was even like, oh, I I like that. I can sell that and still feel good about myself. Sure.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds like a great middle way, right? Yeah. And I think it meets
0: their needs, right? Like It's not the solution for all organizations. If this was like a homelessness organization, I think I'd feel very differently. But I think they've been really thoughtful and planful in uh, doing this in an equitable way.
1: But I'm still kind of hung up on a couple questions. One, can an organization take more than a 5% draw every year?
0: Most of the time, no.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah. So- again, most organizations won't manage their endowments themselves. Again, with like big universities and stuff beside the point, they hire entire firms to manage theirs. But most of the organizations you and I are talking about, they're actually housing them with um, an organization that can manage it like a community foundation. So they will sign some sort of agreement that says how much they can take each year, what that process is, and if they need additional funding, what that process would look like. It usually requires either the full board of that foundation or some sort of committee to approve additional expenditures.
1: And if people, do you think there's a stigma against drawing from it? Stigma? Well, so the reason I ask is I was working with a client recently who really took a hit in fundraising through the pandemic. And they were also midway through a capital campaign when the pandemic hit. So they were left with that unfulfilled and a decrease in their annual fund. Sure. And they're struggling right now. They're trying to ramp it back up, but it takes time, as everybody knows, in fundraising. And so one of the board members brought up, well, what about our endowment? And it was just kind of like, oh how could you yeah like oh no we could never do that (laughs) but like otherwise they're talking about closing doors or like changing programming you know and so it's kind of like well isn't oh my god isn't that what it's can we just the the fact that like
0: the funds held at the endowment are somehow more sacred than your fucking programming is ridiculous to me
1: that's what i'm talking about like do you think that that stigma exists because i've heard that a couple times
0: Not at that level. Okay, so first off, so few people would know if you ever were to take a draw. Right? It's not like the press gets a hold of that. (laughs) Headline at 5 o'clock news, local animal shelter takes a 10% distribution. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit. The bigger issue is like if it's a long-term sign of decline, it could be denied by the hosting organization.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, that's kind of fucked up, but um, <laughs> I'm still not fully on board with the structure of this. But so it kind of makes sense with these larger institutions like universities, even talking about foundations of school districts, maybe like hospitals, right? Like those are institutions that are, are not going anywhere anytime soon. And so creating some sort of long term fundraising ability. Okay. But when you're talking about, again, these smaller organizations, human service organizations, who maybe have been around for a long time, right? Maybe they've been around for 50 years, 100 years. But still, they're on shoestring budgets, and they have plans of expansion. Like, when do you actually recommend an endowment campaign for an organization?
0: Oh, that's so hard. I mean, it goes back to your earlier comment too about like how much would need to be raised to really make a difference. Like we talk about Harvard and all these. I mean, I want to say Harvard's is at like $53 billion and they'll publicize, we were able to offset a half a million dollars because of our endowment with scholarships. And you're like, whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa, Right, exactly. So for most organizations that are like struggling with sustainability, the endowment is not the solution. right. It also it's a true campaign. Like it requires significant fundraising resources to go into cultivating donors, soliciting them. I mean that the whole donor cycle, like we've talked about before, endowment campaigns don't just happen by accident. You know, just because you add endowment onto your donation envelope doesn't mean that you are actually raising an endowment. I actually had that conversation with a client this weekend who has been talking about intentionally growing theirs. And a board member said, well, we can do that just by adding the option. Okay. That's not intentionally growing. (laughs) Right. Exactly.
1: (laughs) That being said, for those people who, because I imagine having an endowment option for a planned gift, like if you're talking about legacy giving, like people really want to hear about that. So even if you're not in a place to launch an endowment campaign, does it make sense just to have one, like a a um, passive endowment so it's there if
0: people wanna add to it? I mean, again, not really. Uh, Most foundations will have a minimum that you need to start the endowment. And it takes some work to like figure out your structures internally, Um, you know, your policies around taking in gifts and processing them and all of that. Yes, we typically will roll planned giving into endowment campaigns. Because that is part of how you get to those goals. I wouldn't set up an endowment in order to solicit planned gifts, though. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I think to your question of like, what are the the indicators? Like, there is no real bright line to say like, okay, now you're ready. I'll go back to the uh, instance of this school foundation. They had seen pretty significant fundraising growth. They were able to respond in a number of different ways to really emergent community needs in the last few years they have really increased donor relationships and stewardship. And so it was like, more than anything, their fundraising was to a place where they're ready to level up. And so this was like the next obvious thing. They don't really have significant capital needs. And they, they were seeing this per- perpetual need that was going to be happening anyway. So- for them, it was like a number of different things that made them think this is the time. And then they reached out to us to do the feasibil- feasibility and we confirmed like, yes, you, your your donors are ready for something like this. But again, I have to just say like that feasibility piece really can't be understated for any big campaign, but especially an endowment campaign. If you are working for a small nonprofit and you're looking to add something like this and you haven't done full feasibility, you risk putting a lot of time and energy into something that is not going to be successful and can actually even uh, reduce donors' impressions of the organization.
1: Interesting. uh-huh. Well, you know, I was listening to you say, you don't want to create an endowment just to have that as an option for planned giving, but I immediately pictured one of these organizations meeting with a donor who said if you've had an endowment, I would make a planned gift for you, but I'm only gonna do it for something that I know is going to be in perpetuity. And I would say, here's
0: the number for University of Colorado's advancement office. They'd be happy to take your fucking <laughs> asshole gift.
1: You know that's what somebody's gonna say. I know. And, and then they're the,
0: jackasses. And then the
1: ED is like, oh my gosh, we gotta create an endowment. We have to do an endowment to get this like alleged. Gift that we're not even sure is going to happen, but let's go do that because Mr. Rich guy said that that's what we should be doing. <laughs> I've been there; I know it. So I would just—I was curious, like, what is a good rebuttal to something like that?
0: If I was in that position and we were not planning to set up an endowment, I would probably say something like, "We so appreciate your willingness to consider us for a planned gift. Our organization is not at a place to be able to set up an endowment." And if that deters your interest in giving, we certainly understand. But we'd also be happy to talk about our other programming and our plans for sustainability that mean that we will be around for many years to come, regardless of having an endowment.
1: So maybe leave the asshole part out.
0: I mean, I guess if you want to close the (laughs) gift. (laughs) I can think of, uh, I worked for an organization and we were gifted a home, like a physical building, and then an endowment that came with it to help with the upkeep but luckily, it was a quasi-endowment. What does that mean? So a quasi-endowment doesn't have the same restrictions as a full endowment. Often, like, if a board decides they're going to, quote unquote, set up an endowment, it's technically a board-designated quasi-endowment. It's not a true endowment where donors are giving straight into that, the, you know, the, the donors restricted the funds into the endowment, anything like that. In a quasi-endowment, usually, it's actually just a fund. And so the nonprofit has the ability to pull from it as needed. That was fantastic because when I can't remember what happened, I think it was our plumbing went out one year and we just had like a shit ton of bills, you know, everything just piles on itself. We were able to do a really significant draw to cover all those. And then the next year when nothing happened, we didn't draw anything. And it was great. It just sat there. So like, again, I'm going to go back to this client example, their flex fund, Concept is actually probably what's smarter for most organizations is something where you can you can control the org, the the funding you can pull on it when you need it you can leave it there to grow if you don't need it and ultimately it's the board's responsibility to decide when and if the funds are used.
1: Right. Yeah. So you can create something like that yourself within the organization without going through the whole formality of creating an endowment. Exactly. But just be clear when you're raising money for it the difference. Don't don't like mislead people into thinking that it is something that it's not. Right. Right. I would love to hear what our listeners think about endowments.
0: Yeah, and especially fundraising for them. Like I think the the conversations with donors are really interesting because you do get the ones that are truly future focused and I think that's why planned gifts work so well. Donors are thinking about leaving a legacy. You're talking about the legacy for the nonprofit. You know, you wrap all that into one. So there's just some really good stuff that can happen when those things synergize. And I've definitely been in organizations on the board and as a consultant where I've said, ethically, I don't think it's right for you to have an endowment. Why are you even discussing starting one?
1: Yeah. And I have seen it where the quote unquote endowment has started from some gift that somebody gave them a long time ago that they endowed. Yeah. And then they're like, we have an endowment. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. not really. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, reach out. Let us know. What are your thoughts? Have you fundraised for an endowment? Was it a status symbol for your organization to have a campaign like that? Did it mean that you had made it as a nonprofit in fundraising? I want to hear it. Who needs a charity navigator
0: seal? We've got an endowment <laughs> seal. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Exactly. So how can they reach us? You can email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. And you can definitely become a Patreon subscriber. We're getting ready to launch our big summer TV show blast.
1: It's going to be so much fun. If you heard us talking about the book club that we just finished up, you should have because one of our last episodes was a wrap up of that. Um, This one's going to be a little bit more lighthearted. Going to be honest, that one took us down real deep. (laughs) So we're going to find our way back up to the surface uh, by watching a popular TV show on Apple TV. So if that sounds like something doable that you can do watching an episode a week, Go over to Patreon, subscribe, any level. And then I guess also plugging a little bit, you got to get Apple TV for somebody's, or somebody's, at least somebody else's login.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or you can just listen to us tell you about it and then you, you can decide if you will even want to watch it at that point. That's true. That's true. All right. Thanks, folks. Take care. Don't forget to become a Patreon subscriber for behind the scenes content starting at only $3 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash nonprofit reframe. We would like to thank our sponsors. Brittany Wilson Consulting helps nonprofits raise even more money through fundraising, coaching, training, and event production. Learn more at brittanywilson.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-N-Y wilson.com. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based consulting firm working towards social good in all sectors through fundraising, board governance, strategy and planning, and equity support. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thanks for listening.